Are you that weirdo who's always rooting for the underdog and believes in second chances? Then this is a podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. That was so good. Smooth as silk. Why did I just have a radio DJ voice? (laughs) And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Welcome back, all you valid people out there. (laughs) Why is it valid? Everybody's valid. I know, but it's just just strange. Another intro nailed. Another intro nailed. Uh, We are. Okay, fine. What's your name? My name's Cassie. I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. We just got back from a week off. I was at a wellness nature retreat, which is a happy. Uh, like kind of a fancy way to just say camping I was camping I was camping okay okay I was like wait you just told me you were camp where did you go (laughs) the hills of Malibu (laughs) I wish I was at a wellness retreat in nature but I was just camp actually I had a wonderful time I was camping with family um we took a week off because I was gone for a week and we actually came back and Summer is coming to an end, so we've both decided, Tiffany and I, if you've been listening for a while, you know that we're parents. We're also collectively going through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And Have you heard of it? <laughs> and we are starting school in a few weeks, and we made a decision that to be uh, better homeschool parents and distance learning parents also to help the research for the show, which we is always a goal of ours, is to have better research. We are going to a bi-monthly main episode schedule, which means we will have a two main episodes a month instead of four. So mm-hmm. we're going to record every other week, but we'll still have episodes every week. Mm-hmm. It will just be a main episode one week. A one and done episode the next week, main, and then one and done. So instead of eight episodes a month, you're getting four, but they will be more uh, research intensive. Yes. They'll be better. Yes. Yeah, we want to be better parents, but more importantly, we want to be better podcasters because <laughs> kids come and go, but podcasts are forever. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have Wikipedia we'll- isn't cutting it anymore. So like Cassie said, we'll have an episode out every week mm-hmm. instead of two per week. Yes. So I think you will uh get us just as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more. Maybe better. Maybe better. It's it's gonna be bigger and better. It's a new day. Yes. It's a new dong. New dong? No. But I wouldn't mind a new dong. <laughs> Every once in a while. Off the shelf, of course. Not a real human. I'm married. (laughs) (laughs) And we are in a monogamous relationship, which polyamory, don't have a problem with it. Kind of exciting, but. It it is exciting. Not for me, but I'm I'm assuming. Are you polyamorous? No. Let us know. Oh. Listener, (laughs) not you, Cassie. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so we wanted to come back with an episode that was kind of uplifting. Yes. Um, so we decided to do a second chances episode where we, each of us talk about someone who made the best of their second chance. It's going to be a great, I'm excited. It's going to be a great episode. Before we get into that, let's discuss our drinks. Okay. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for saying that because I would have just gone right on talking as I do. And we, it would be criminal to not mention this drink. Uh, we received... A gift package from 
Tessa at Scrappy's Bitters, and she sent over a bunch of their flavors, and we made a drink with it, and oh my goodness, it's fan-fucking-tastic. Once you go Bitters, there ain't no going back. No, never. It adds so much to the drink. Yes, it does. And full disclosure, I added the Firewater Bitters to one of my beer beers. <laughs> and I know it's unconventional, wild and crazy. Some say inappropriate. I don't care if it's wrong. I don't want to be right. So Some but, say inappropriate. That's our motto. <laughs> um, but the drink that we made today is um, a brain child of Tiffany's. It's, it's called a ramble because I think she named it in honor of me. I did. I named it in honor of both of us, but it's also a riff off of a bramble. Yes. But our version, our version has vodka, lemon juice, and we made a very delicious blackberry, boozy blackberry simple syrup, Mm -hmm. I guess you'd call it. Yeah. And then we used the cardamom cardamom bitters. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. It's so, so good. It is so delicious. So as always, our recipe will be on our social media, pictures of the drink and recipe, how to make it, step-by-step instructions. You guys don't want to miss this one. And the bitters makes the drink. Mm -hmm. It, Mm -hmm. it's like rounded out. It's full bodied, flavorful, aromatic. It's beautiful. And you don't want to miss this one. So this is with Scrappy's cardamom bitters. But you could even try a different, like a lemon, the Scrappy's lemon bitters. Mm-hmm. We were, we we're contemplating. There were so many good ones. We did not know which one to use. Yeah. So we were contemplating the fire water for a spicy blackberry. Then we were thinking maybe the lavender. There's so many you could use. Check Scrappy's out. Um, they're on social media at Scrappy's bitters. You can go to their website. They're based out of Seattle. And um, it's a pretty cool company. Tessa, for sure, 100% is cool. Yes, for sure. <laughs> She's cool in my book forever. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, make this drink, people, because it's really good. Okay, so second chances. Get in. I just, okay, can I just say something? Speaking of second chances, and I'm feeling generous, and I'm feeling that I believe in second chances. Me too. For most people, I've personally had close family members of mine that have um, needed second chance. You know what? Honestly, more than second chances. And I've always allowed them, held space for them to to take a second chance and take advantage of it and, and do the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the spirit of second chances, if you've also listened to the podcast, you know that I've continuously uh, given Aries a hard time. Now I've had not bad experiences, but just personality clashes with an Aries I used to work with. That's who I'm referring to when I give Aries a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the mood to give Aries a second chance. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You've grown so much in the less than a year. Leaps and bounds. Wow. So if you're an Aries out there and you feel personally attacked by me, I, I apologize and I'm sorry. And I'm here to give you a second chance. (laughs) Can we still can we still dislike the old coworker that was a pain in the ass? Yeah. Do your side work, people. <laughs> okay, so I'm so excited to hear your second chance. I can't even handle it. Okay, go. I love a good second chancer. You know, the I have given a, a 
person in bed a second chance <laughs> and they they ruined it oh so i guess a second chance is all around unless in bed yeah okay okay no actually i still gave them a second chance and they still ruined it i would i would still give someone in bed a second chance okay thanks was that me no oh, okay <laughs> no. all right so our second chance episode is referring to in in this case formerly incarcerated peoples yeah it just so happened just that to way. specify yeah right we both ended up finding formerly incarcerated people that got a second chance mm-hmm. and did some really cool inspiring stuff yeah right? yes I was personally inspired because I have someone in my immediate family who was incarcerated and charged and convicted of felonies mm-hmm. and I feel like the person in my life has really um, worked their hardest and really tried to make the most of their second chance and that's what kind of inspired this episode also I like sandwiches so that also inspired every episode is inspired by a sandwich <laughs> you'll understand that when I get to my friends <laughs> Instead of cocktails, we're going to start doing sandwiches. Okay, I'm actually not against that. Can we do cocktails and sandwiches? Yes. All right. So researching for this episode, I learned a few interesting as well as really sad statistics, and I wanted to share them with you before I got into my story. Mm -hmm. Only 55% of formerly incarcerated people report earnings in their first year after release, and those who are employed have a median annual income of $10,000, according to the Bookings Institution. Mm -hmm. The unemployment rate among formerly incarcerated individuals is 27%, according to the Prison Policy Institute report. That's higher than the total U.S. unemployment rate during any historical period, including the Great Depression, despite actively looking for employment at higher rates than the general population. Um, Yeah, that's pretty depressing. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, we need prison reform and more rehab, re- more uh, rehabilitation. Agreed. The Center for Economic Policy and Research estimates the U.S. economy loses somewhere between 78 and $87 billion annually due to the exclusion of formerly incarcerated people from employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you have no heart and you just care about the bottom line. That gives someone a second chance. Yeah. Um, although I too, I do 100% agree with you. We need prison reform. We need better mental health facilities. Yep. We need better drug rehabilitation yep. opportunities. Yep. But well, soapbox later. It's on, it's, it's on our list. It's on our list. We're checking things off one day, <laughs> one thing at a time. We're getting through distance learning first. So I got these statistics from globalcitizen.org, which is one of my sources for today. I also read an article on CNN.com, which caused Marte, Uh the person that I'm talking about today, Mm -hmm. he actually wrote the article on CNN that I read. Cool. Yeah. Cause Marte grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He was raised by a single mother and lived with her and his sisters in a tenement apartment. His mother worked at a factory and they lived well below the poverty line. From an early age... Marte dreamed of being rich. Growing up without the things he wanted fueled his drive for wealth. Unfortunately, his first attempts at attaining wealth led him down the wrong path. Marte started smoking weed by 11, and by 13, he was selling drugs. Oh, shit. Yeah, very, very young. He had hustle and made a name for himself quickly among other dealers, even though he was so young. Jeez, jeez. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Marte looked up to the other dealers during this time. Their wealth was obvious because they had chains, expensive clothes. Mm -hmm. They had all these things that he really wanted. Mm -hmm. His crimes were truly fueled by money. Right. After a couple of years of dealing, Marte began selling cocaine. At just 19, he reached the goal that he had set for himself of being a millionaire. He made a million dollars that year. I mean, obviously he's operating in an illegal space, but the hustle. Yeah. The hustle. It's, it's seriously crazy. He had around 20 employees and was working around the clock dealing drugs. Um, I watched a Ted talk that he did Uh and he was talking about how it was back in the day and he had so many contacts that he had to have multiple cell phones because they wouldn't hold all of his contacts. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. It's, it's fucking wild. Yeah. Wow. So although he had reached his goal of becoming a rich man, what was the cost, right? Yeah. Dangerous. It's all, it's all bad. Yeah. Yeah. At 23 years old, Marte was busted. Oh shit. So not, I mean, he wasn't, that's not that long. Yeah. Since he got into cocaine dealing. Yeah. But 10 years since he started dealing overall. Right. Marte had been in and out of jail throughout his life just because he had always been dealing and around drugs. Like even as like a teenager, he was kind of in and out of juvie and he had done like several short stints in jail Uh before, Uh but this time he got real time. Yeah. Marte was sentenced to 12 years in prison for dealing and the sentence was reduced to seven and he ended up only serving four. Okay. While in prison, Marte got into it with a prison officer and was sent to solitary. Oh shit. Solitary is terrifying. Terrible. Yeah. It's terrifying and terrible and so Mm -hmm. detrimental to your mental state. It's, it's the, the worst of the worst for sure. While in solitary, he received a letter from his sister telling him to read a certain passage from the Bible. Two and a half weeks in solitary, along with the guidance of this sister, changed something in Marte. He said he felt that his purpose was to give back instead of destroy the people around him. So he had a come to Jesus kind of a moment. Yes. Okay. He also had a young son when he was first sent, you know, first sentence, uh-huh. sentenced, and I he mentioned that that was a really big factor in him wanting to change. Mm-hmm. Marte wasn't sure what his next move would be, but prison gives you plenty of time to think mm-hmm. and work out. Yeah. Yes. Which is exactly what Marte did. And he needed this exercise badly. In fact, it wasn't just something that he did uh, to give himself something to do. When he was first incarcerated, uh, he was in really bad shape uh-huh. and a doctor told him that his cholesterol level was so high that he would die within a couple of years if oh, he didn't Oh my, as lower a 23-year-old, a 24-year-old? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah, it's crazy. So Marte did not want to die in prison. Mm-hmm. And this was just another bit of motivation to get him training and working out. Yeah, yeah. To, to be healthier for himself mm-hmm. and be there for his son. Exactly. He lost 70 pounds in six months. Oh my goodness. He also trained other inmates that saw his dramatic results. I believe he said in one of the interviews that he trained like 20 guys and they ended up losing around a thousand pounds collectively. That is incredible. Yeah. The day came when Marte was released from prison. And although he had entered prison a millionaire, when he left, he had the bus fare that the prison pays and not much else. Marte slept on his mother's couch looking for work, legal work. Yeah. 
but with his record, it was hard to get any job that wasn't minimum wage. Yeah. He realized that his skill as a trainer would be his ticket back to success. He started training friends. Then he would approach strangers and give them his information. He linked up with a company called Defy Ventures, a nonprofit that helps ex-convicts start their own businesses. So they give like micro loans to people with criminal backgrounds to help give them a second chance. What a fantastic, what a fantastic company. I know. What a great organization. Yeah. Marte rented a space to expand his business known as Con Body. Con Body is a prison style gym. There is a mugshot wall, a prison gate that slams, all this. It's very prison look, has a prison look. Okay. Um, Marte has admitted it's a little gimmicky, but also said the reason why I did this and fitted out the whole space like this was I was just tired of hiding. I felt like this is freedom for me. Okay. So I don't think he's trying to glorify prison, but at the same time, it's like him being a formerly incarcerated person Mm -hmm. helped lead him to this point. So I'm not, he's not going to act like it's not what he's about. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's embracing his past that brought him to where he is today. Yeah. And if he hadn't have been incarcerated, he might've never began his fitness journey. And he might. So it's actually a huge part of what he does now. Mm -hmm. It's not just like a place he had been. It's kind of where his whole business venture, the spark began. Yes. So my favorite part of his whole enterprise is that he seeks out others with criminal records to become trainers at his gym. That's, that's amazing. It's really, really cool. In this way, I mean, he's obviously paying it forward and he's keeping the uh, prison con body image legit because Mm -hmm. they're formerly incarcerated people, right? Right, right, yeah. As of 2019, Marte had hired 26 other formerly incarcerated people and these employees have a zero recidivism rate, meaning they haven't gone back to jail since. That's what uh, the word that I could barely say means. (laughs) being reincarcerated uh in the cnn article cause wrote he said i'm now giving others the opportunity to be treated as humans and break down barriers between ex-convicts and the general population Mm -hmm. that's my goal bringing people together to show we are not scary we are normal Mm -hmm. so yeah that's my story about cause Marte, and i love it i think it's a great story because He's paying it forward. Mm-hmm. He's totally successful again. Mm-hmm. He's you can seriously find like TED Talks, CNN interviews, all the he's he's all over. If mm-hmm. you want to learn more about him, or if you're in the uh, like New York area and you want to work out, go to Con Body. Go to Con Body. Yeah, it's such a great great story. It is. It's it's inspiring. It is. It's that was in- actually the last thing I wrote that I didn't read. So inspiring. It's inspiring. And it's even inspiring to someone, me, myself. I've never been incarcerated. And it's it's inspiring to me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's such a great. That's such a great story. I love that. I, like you said, we ended up doing a formerly incarcerated um, second chance mm-hmm. story. So, I'll get into mine. I um, I am talking about Dave Dahl. You may think you don't know who I'm talking about, but I bet you do. Dave is the co-founder of Dave's Killer Bread. Yes, that 
bred. The muscle-bound, guitar-wielding, long-haired, mustache guy whose caricature is on every loaf of bread that you see in your store. You probably even had it. And that's when I said what my love of sandwiches <laughs> inspired um, me to, to talk about Dave. My sources for this episode are um, an article on modernfarmer.com, an article from theringer.com, davedoll360.com, and discoverafricanart.com and Wikipedia. This is uh, a, also a pretty inspiring story. Mm-hmm. Now, if you still don't know who Dave Dahl is or who Dave or what Dave's Killer Bread is, next time you're at the market, take a peek at the bread aisle and you will see Dave and his Killer Bread. And they branch to bagels. Now they're doing uh, muffins and they have all kinds of bread. Um, I love... Dave's Killer Bread. Actually, a lot of people do. Yeah. I mean, not that they need a plug. I mean, I feel like they're so popular. They don't really need our plug, but this is the only healthy bread that my husband will eat. (laughs) (laughs) I like it because it's it's, really good. I like the bread because it holds up in a sandwich. Mm -hmm. I don't like flimsy bread and I definitely don't like bread that when you chew it gets stuck on the roof of your mouth. Yeah. It's it's too soft. Unless it's brioche. Brioche is the only bread that can do that for me. Um, anyway, Brioche, you can do no wrong. I mean, I could talk about bread forever. Dave was born in Portland, Oregon in 1963, and his parents owned a small bakery. Being Seventh-day Adventists, the dolls focused on making vegan, organic, and non-GMO bread before it was cool. So Seventh-day Adventists, in one of these articles mm-hmm. that I read, um, they really kind of encouraged their followers to be mostly vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were very healthy eaters, and they modeled their bread after their religious eating beliefs, I, I, I guess. Um, it's not a bad motto. No, Treat it's your not. body well, eat, ni- eat good food. Yeah, it's totally not a bad motto. By the time they were nine... All of Jim's kids worked in the bakery. They went to school and they worked and they made Jim, the father, mm-hmm. paid them. And I, I believe they made, I think, 25 cents an hour and like 10, a portion went to school. Another portion went to like school clothes and school supplies. And then another portion they could keep for themselves. Dave's two brothers and his sister loved working at the bakery, but Dave, not so much. According to a 2018 article in The Ringer titled Against the Grain, Dave consistently fought with his father. Come on, Dave. He felt like the bad seed in the family. So many bread puns in this. I know. (laughs) I know. In his memoir, Good Seed, Dave wrote his first memories are of feeling suicidal. Oh, sad. I know. I tried to get my hands on the book to read it, uh, but it's $120 on Amazon. What no, the hell? No, it's $820 on Amazon. Excuse me. What? Sorry for that. That's a lot of dough. Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> Please don't be mad at me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so I just found excerpts, and one of the excerpts was that his first real solid memories are of him feeling suicidal. That's so awful. I know. It's terrible. Growing up, he had a hard time making friends and talking to people. Dave began to rebel, first by smoking cigarettes, and then he grew apart from the church, and then his family. He liked to fight. He was constantly physically fighting people, 
Um, and then he started drinking alcohol and eventually he dropped out of high school. Pretty soon Dave started doing meth. Oh no. When he first tried meth, he said it made him feel like he never felt before. Like he was finally functioning how he should be functioning. He could engage with people. He was social. He was able to get jobs. But as soon as he got the job, he lost it because he was on meth. Meth. (laughs) Yeah. Dave started to steal and deal drugs to keep up his habit. And it wasn't long before he started getting arrested. He himself said he wasn't a good criminal. A cycle emerged. Do meth, steal, get caught, go to jail, get out of jail, do meth, and it would begin again. In the meantime, Glenn, Dave's older brother, had bought the bakery from their father, and Glenn would always give Dave a job at the bakery, and he did several times. That's so sweet. He just wants his brother to not be in trouble and to get clean. Yes, but eventually Dave would fuck up and get arrested, and he would obviously be in jail and not work at the bakery, or him and Glenn would get in a fight, and and he'd stop working there. At one point, he was carrying around a shotgun and a baggie of meth in a trench coat. A sawed-off shotgun, to be exact. Whoa. Yeah. In 1998, he received his longest prison sentence yet, 15 years. Charges included assault, possession, and delivery, manufacturing of a controlled substance. It was eight felonies in total. While in prison, Dave tried to figure out ways to kill himself for good. He thought of other prisoners who had attempted and failed and didn't want. Um, he had specifically mentioned a prisoner who had like tried to cut their own throat and mm-hmm. failed. And then they, he, he lived with that scar. Oh, yeah. And Dave said he didn't want to live with those scars. So instead of killing himself, he felt like he had to make his life work. It was then that he said he humbled himself and reached out to a prison therapist who prescribed antidepressants. Basically, this whole time he was self-medicating with meth. Yes. That is so sad. Yes. At that point, Dave's perspective on life began to change. He joined a drafting class, which he loved so much he started eventually teaching the class. Dave had a new lease on life. When Dave got out in 2004, Glenn picked him up from the Greyhound station with his bus ticket that the prison mm-hmm. provides and in Portland and offered him yet again a job at the bakery. What a sweet brother. I know. He Dave always took had it. his back. Uh, he, he really did. And <laughs> I watched an interview with Glenn and he just said, I love my brother. I cared about my brother. And he said, I saw his language change this last time. And mm-hmm. he said, um, and I was here to support him. It was really great. Nature Bake, which was what the name of the bakery was, mm-hmm. wanted to, t- once Dave got out and he joined Nature Bake, he wanted they, Glenn, when I say they, Glenn and Dave talked about reaching um, a target, a younger bread eating audience. Mm-hmm. So Dave worked night and day to come up with a loaf that would stand out. When finally he came up with a loaf that had flax, pumpkin, sesame, and sunflower seeds, he called it killer. Mm -hmm. Dave's Killer Bread made its debut at a Portland farmer's market in 2005. 
After that, Dave spent a hundred hours a week perfecting the bread. And on Modern Farmer, the the story of Dave and his bread is laid out in like a comic style. And it, it's really cool to read. I suggest you go read it. It's really cool to read. Um, it's a little outdated because it, it stopped kind of in the middle of Dave's story. Mm-hmm. But it shows like misshapen, like he tried to perfect, some came out like if there's too many seeds, it fell apart. And sometimes if there was not enough, it came out all lumpy and wouldn't fit in the bread cutter. Like, <laughs> And it kind of shows all these weird deformed loaves of bread. And it, it's kind of cool looking. Um, but he eventually got it right. And um, he would create three loaves that would be the beginning of it all. Blue's bread, which had a blue corn f- corn meal uh, mm-hmm. on the edge of it, power seed, and aptly named good seed. Mm-hmm. And Dave said in an interview that good seed was kind of him, like he had transformed from what he thought was a bad seed to this good seed, and and he was doing really well for himself. He was using his creativity. He was being productive. He was feeling good. By 2012, Dave's killer bread was doing very well. But Glenn, Dave, and Glenn's son, Shoby, couldn't keep up with production. So they needed an investor. The three of them also began to fight. Shoby thought... <laughs> Shelby thought Dave was had too big of an ego. Dave thought they should be <laughs> highlighting his bread more. You know, it, it, they were fighting. So Good Partners LLC purchased 50% of Dave's killer bread. Glenn stepped down as chairman. Shelby also stepped down from CEO, but both remained on the board and Dave remained the president of the company. In 2013, Dave's killer bread was making a profit of $50 million a year. To Jesus. this, I know to this day, they are the biggest, biggest organic bread making company in the United States. Holy shit. I know they had started out with just a few employees. And at this point they had 280 employees of which 30 to 40% were formerly incarcerated people. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, Dave's story is an inspiration for so many. And I thought that's where the story ended. Based on the loaf packaging. Mm-hmm. And they lived happily ever after. But the story doesn't end there. About the time 50% of the company was purchased, Dave began drinking. And the board noticed his drinking. Mm-hmm. And they asked him to go to rehab. So he went to rehab in Utah. He came back to Portland. But the rehab didn't help and he continued to drink. So the board put him on sabbatical from Dave's killer bread. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was on sabbatical. He had made a ton of money at this point and he had really nobody to answer to because he wasn't working every day. Yeah. He kind of went off the rails. He showed up at the bakery unannounced one day and he was very agitated. He yelled at employees and he was preaching quote, preaching the universe would provide. And he punched the head off a cardboard cutout of himself. Someone from the bakery called the police. They said he was intimidating employees. You know, Dave is a big guy. Mm-hmm. He was um, pretty big, very muscular. You can see on the loaves of bread. He says that the 
cartoon of himself was ex- exaggerated, but the videos I watched, he's a big muscular guy. Mm-hmm. He has a presence. Um, so the police came and Dave was in his Escalade when the police showed up and the cop walked up to his Escalade and he just like rolled down the window, looked at the cop and said, nope, and drove away. Uh, later that night, a friend of Dave's called the police because Dave was talking to people that weren't there and he just seemed, he was supposed to go on a trip with his then girlfriend and he refused to pack any clothes. He refused to pack a toothbrush and just said, the universe will provide me clothes. The universe is going to provide me a toothbrush. He was just not good being erratic. Yeah. That his friends and his girlfriend tried to keep him at the house until the police and they also called mental health professionals to arrive mm-hmm. um but he drove off before they could get there um clearly he was having some kind of mental break mm-hmm. um during this drive he rammed a couple of cop cars he led police on a speed limit chase um, so he wasn't speeding. He was going the speed limit. They were just chasing him. Cars were ram- Police cars were ramming him, trying to get him to stop. He eventually ended up in a cul-de-sac. Um, he refused to get out of the car. He was dragged from his car and tasered. Eventually, he was charged with assault uh, in the second degree, assaulting a police officer, resisting arrest, reckless driving, and criminal mischief. He was found guilty except for insanity. Uh, Dave was taken to a psychiatric facility where he was diagnosed as bipolar one. Oh wow. Yeah. He had this whole time. He had never been diagnosed. Oh my God. Yeah. So he stayed there until he was, um, able mm-hmm. to be released and he was conditionally released. Yeah. He saw a psychiatrist. He's getting medicated. He, um, so basically they realized the justice system realized he was having a, an actual mental break. Yeah. Um, so, and his whole life, I mean, who this had obviously been going on for a long time. Yes. But somehow he was managing without having any proper diagnosis. Yes, exactly. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. I know. So Dave's Killer Bread was purchased for $275 million in 2015. Jesus. Yeah. So this is right um, during the time that this happened. They, mm-hmm. they sold the company after Dave had had his mental break. Um, Dave made $33 million from that sell. Damn. After the sale, sell of the sale of the company, Dave saw, um, he started going to garage sales, um, yard sales, mm-hmm. and he saw an African mask at a yard sale and he was just drawn to it. Um, it somehow reminded him of himself and wearing a mask and revealing himself and, um, he bought it and then he bought another one and another and another until he had a warehouse full, actually three warehouses full of African art. Wow. And artifacts. So Dave is no longer at Dave's Killer Bread. Mm-hmm. Um, he is somewhat of an African art dealer. He owns an African um, art shop in Clackamas, Oregon. Such an interesting turn. I know. But I guess he's a millionaire and it's a hobby that he enjoys and loves. And if I was a millionaire, I would probably collect art too, quite honestly. Oh, I would. I would have no space on my walls or my surfaces. I would collect so much art. Yeah. Um, 
Dave speaks around the country in prisons and on college campuses about his story. He's invested in a prison startup that gives uh, incarcerated people educational opportunities. That's awesome. He's started a trade school and it's called Constructing Hope. And it's basically a trade school for um, not just formerly incarcerated people, but um, a lower socioeconomic status, people of color, uh, women, anyone who needs a trade, um, a trade school that maybe they couldn't get into a traditional trade school for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, he's That's a, really cool. Yeah. He's an advocate for mental health care and for second chances. Now, while Dave's Killer Bread doesn't include the second half of Dave's story on the loaf, in my opinion, it's the most important part of his story. Um, as, as Marcus Parks, I know we mentioned last spot all the time, <laughs> but as Marcus Parks once said, your mental illness is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Um, Dave is living, breathing proof of that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I just really liked his story and, um, you know, it, it was just, you know, a, a second chance story and he not didn't, he didn't just fall from grace once I say fall from grace for a lack of better terms mm-hmm. once, but twice Yeah, he had it all and he still needed a third chance through no fault of his own No, because it was mental totally illness. not his fault. And to think that he did all of that before he was even correctly diagnosed with Mm -hmm. his mental illness. I mean, I'm sure Mm -hmm. that every day he was kind of struggling Mm -hmm. trying to figure out why he had, you know, the feelings that he had and the thoughts that he had for a long time, I'm sure. And when you were talking about cause, I was thinking Dave has this quote and I'm going to loosely quote him because I don't have it written down. So I don't know the exact words. But the reason he invested in a educational program for incarcerated people, he said a lot of people have the misconception that if you educate criminals or convicted felons or incarcerated people, you're just going to make a smarter criminal. And he said that is not the case. Uh, and I am an example of that. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's it's not about um, that's such a terrible misconception because it's not about um making criminals smarter and how to be better criminals it's about giving people the tools they need to survive and function exactly it's giving people like you said the tools you need and options right Uh, so many incarcerated people either grew up in extreme poverty and or have little to no education and don't have access to mental health care it's basically a disaster waiting for failure and then acting like it's their fault when they failed. Yep. And I'm not saying, obviously, there are a lot of criminals that should be in prison. Uh There's a lot of criminals that I say, fuck you, stay in jail. Yeah. But uh, a huge percent, a huge amount, a huge percentage of the population in prison can be reformed, Mm -hmm. can get help, and should be be helped. Mm -hmm. And their sentencing does not need to be as extreme as it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And we should be giving, I mean, isn't the whole point of going to prison is that you're supposed to be reformed and then get out and be able to contribute to society. Mm -hmm. And yet our society doesn't allow a huge chunk of this population to even get a job. Yeah. Dave um, is a very creative person. Mm -hmm. And he said that that drafting class in combination with um, 
reaching out for help. He had always thought before he said that reaching, asking for help, or he said humbling himself, Mm -hmm. um, but reaching for help with his mental illness and his suicidal thoughts and his depression, um, in combination with doing that, taking responsibility for his mental health Mm -hmm. and taking that drafting class saved his life. He said, I love that creative drafting class. He said, I've always wanted to do something like that. And, um, I think that's why he started his, uh, started the trade school. Um, because it's, it's, it's part of that drafting, that artistic, he got so good that they started making furniture at the, the prison, the facility Mm -hmm. he was in. Um, and he, and he really loved it. And he said, you know, those gave me confidence and they gave me the skills to um function in yeah. society and um hope yeah you know so it, I just thought it was an inspiring story it is it's a very inspiring story and I love that both of the the men that we talked about today are so um focused on giving back mm-hmm and helping out other formerly incarcerated people mm-hmm. and Dave's killer bread still employs um, formerly incarcerated people. It's they, still a part of their business it's model. It's still part of their business model. And I read it was, it's kind of amazing how really lovely. I think the dolls family mm-hmm. was, is although Dave was doing his thing and, you know, doing drugs and selling drugs and getting in trouble, Glenn had always, um, had the idea of employing formerly incarcerated people. And he said he didn't do it because, you know, he felt like he should, he did it. He said, because his dad had always done it. Mm-hmm. His dad had always believed in giving people a second chance and, um, you know, helping people when they were down. And so it just kind of organically happened that That's way awesome. that the company would start to employ formerly incarcerated people. And then, you know, Dave was part of the family also formerly incarcerated and it just kind of like grew organically. And, um, it was, you know, a good business model, but also just being good people, just yeah. being good people. So it's pretty cool. I mean, even though Dave doesn't work at Dave's Killer Bread, still good bread. Thank you, Dave, for starting <laughs> it all. But um, he seems relatively happy. He's somewhat of a celebrity in Portland. Oh, I'm sure. But he wants to lay low. Yeah. You know, he's been in the spotlight enough, probably. Yeah. Yeah. You did such a great job. I loved these stories. It's honestly a very uplifting episode. If I do say so myself, (laughs) I almost started crying a little bit thinking about Dave. I really liked it. I really liked it. And I'm going to listen to um, Cause's TED Talk. Yeah. I mean, the hustle is so fascinating and so, like I said, operating in a legal space. Yeah. Um, You know, opioids are a huge problem in the United States, but... His hustle at such a young age is so admirable. Yeah. He was always very driven. Yeah. And luckily now he found something that, you yeah. know, like he said, actually helps people. Yeah. And it's genuine because it's it's something that was so personal to his journey as a person mm-hmm. and his body. It's just, it's really cool and amazing. I loved your story too. And on that note... Thank you so much for listening. As always, we really, really appreciate everybody that listens and rates and reviews and tells a friend. And thanks again to Tessa. Yes, it's at Scrappy's Bitters. Tessa, you're the bomb. Do people say that anymore? 
They do now. I'm bringing it back. (laughs) I'm bringing it back. So cheers to Tessa this week. And don't forget, love yourself, lock your doors, and light some sage. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.